welcome to Rose Tinted Review, the show where every week we pick something that we're nostalgic for, we revisit it and review it to find out if our hindsight is truly 2020 or we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses. I'm your host, Michael Jerbaz, joined by my good friend and co-host, Connor O'Keen. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for this mm-hmm. episode. As am I. I'm excited for every episode. That's right. That we should be. Let's let's go mm-hmm. back to 1991. Before let's. you were, you weren't born a year prior. I probably wasn't born because I'm a 91 boy, but I'm a December baby. So yeah, this was uh, January before our time. Mm-hmm. But the Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Beam, written or adapted for screen by Ted Talley, based on the book by Thomas Harris, and starring, of course, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. So I think it was supposed to, like, it's a fairly low budget. Like, they didn't expect huge things. Really? Um, yeah, it's just, I think it was, like, something like $19 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, that looks about right. I mean, I guess um, this is the first, like, now, like, Silence of the Lambs, obviously, is a, is a big deal now, and, and, and that's how I guess we both came to know it. Um, uh, this this week we're kind of um, diverting from you know uh, childhood to like, like childhood teenage stuff years. to like yeah adolescent nostalgia. And and this was a movie that I think I saw it in. I, I must have saw it, seen it. Excuse me. In um, like year ten or eleven, like when I was starting to like kind of get into film. Yeah. Air quotes. I'm doing air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, but was also just a, like a, a fiend for horror movies, um, and you know I was told that you know Silence of the Lambs was so sick and uh, so crazy, and I think I feel like I remember my dad telling me that it was like so extreme that people were like vomiting in the cinemas or something like that. I don't know. Probably, I might probably. might be confusing it with a with another film, but um, it was you know he was like it's it's dark, dude. Like it sticks with you. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it and it didn't. <laughs> because I was uh, a schmuck. <laughs> yeah, I sort of had a similar um, experience. I was probably around 15. Um, I think it was probably I saw the trailer for Hannibal Rising on TV. In, right. And that was 2007. And that was like I was big into film, like you like yeah, you said. Yeah, it was, where you're like, that was the prequel, right? Yeah. So you're like, I, I'm yeah, a right. film buff. And I'm like, oh, man, uh-huh. I've been hearing about the Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal stuff for so long. I need to like mm-hmm. check it out. So I like went to the video store and rented Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal and Red Dragon and like watched them all together. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed Silence of the Lambs, but it didn't stick with me to the level that it does now. Looking back on it, it's so weird to think like, I saw that movie once and I just thought, yeah, that was good and just moved on. Mm. When, yeah, I um, and I, now I look at it and I'm like, this is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, stupid? I think... I no, I think I um I was told to watch it after watching seven. I was I was it was around the time that right. Um, it might have even been like year nine or ten actually, because mm. I was it was around the time that I was like, uh, kind of fascinated with you know murderers and serial killers and shit. Yeah, that so was I, when um, I was starting to get into the serial killer genre of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I watched seven and I loved seven, and I think my dad said like, oh, if you liked seven, you should watch this. Um. And I mean, seven's on seven is like this on on fucking coke. It, yeah. Like there's similar things, but it, and and even though they both do similar things in that, like for example, they don't, you know, they show the aftermath 
more than anything. The way Seven is is put together, it's 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 a, it feels like a far more visceral experience than than Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I think that's a one of those things of um, like I said, I think on a previous episode that like horror films don't age as well as everything else. Like you said, that story they say that about the the Exorcist. Um, mm. People tell story like I heard stories about that with Alien One when I was growing up. That it's like yeah, people were like passing out in the cinema. They were like yeah, uh, vomiting. They I were be- like screaming and like running out I of the cinema. That, man. All that <laughs> I stuff. believe that. But that's something. That's a genre where now you sit down and watch it 20, 30, 40 years later and yeah. it seems tame by comparison of what you've already been desensitized to yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah. of gore and stuff. That's such a cheap marketing tactic for, for horror movies that it's going completely underused. Why aren't they putting, like, just on the next big horror movie that a, a studio's putting, like, a little bit more money than usual into, just have all the marketing material be like, someone full chucked in the movie theatre. Like, <laughs> well, go see this. That's like... You know? um, what Paranormal Activity sort of did with its um, trailers that was oh, just with, with, night yes, vision with showing the, the footage of the, of the audience. I remember seeing that and being like, Psh, these people are idiots. And then I went and saw Paranormal Activity and I shit myself. I did not <laughs> sleep that night. Oh, um, God. Yeah, well, anyway. Lambs is it's not strict, straight horror is very much. No, it's, it's no. Crime, it's, it's, it's a thriller. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a lot more psychological aspects mm. than just straight out horror. Um, yeah, but in saying that, when it first came out, it was very positively received. Mm-hmm. It um, it sort of took a little while to get the ball rolling, but then word of mouth um, sort of took over and was very popular, and it took home five Academy Awards for the year it came out, which are the big five. So mm-hmm. it, it obviously did pretty well. It got Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Actress. So wow. that's pretty, <clears throat> like, the clean sweep, like, the highest regarded sort of every one of those big ones. The fact that it got Best Picture is pretty big, a pretty big deal that people historically say there's only been sort of three times that a genre film has gotten Best Picture. Um, uh, what are the other times? Which they say the f- this was the first time with Silence of the Lambs and then Return of the King. Okay. Uh, I think that was 2009 or something. And then Shape of Water just a couple of years ago. And those are like straight oh, up like wow. fantasy, sci-fi sort of things. So I, I very much enjoyed the movie, but it wasn't didn't really blow my socks off. And then maybe like a couple of years later, I rewatched it and was like, holy shit, this is so freaking good. Mm. Um, went back, rewatched the other ones. Um, it's a, a very interesting sequence of events they they first adapted red dragon which is the first novel as manhunter in 1986 so that was by a different studio they didn't have the rights so instead of so some people think of red dragon as a prequel but what it actually was is they just took the second book in the series decided to adapt it just as the as if the first film just standalone mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until 10 years later that they were able to get those rights and so then they made it, uh, the film as a prequel, but the novel itself is actually comes before. Ah, very cool. Yeah, I got really big on it because I just like serial killer sort of fiction is stuff that I love. And so I actually mm-hmm. went and read Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs, the books as well. Ah, cool. I, I have those. I think I have both of those on my shelf and have been meaning to read them. I think that Silence of the Lambs is one of those films where the film is better than the book. The adaptation is wow. real, is really good. It's a really good adaptation. What do you think? Uh, so uh, briefly before we get into the flick, what do you think the book, uh, sorry, what do you think the movie does better than the book? 
the movie as we go through it we'll sort of I'll sort of mention things but yeah, relate basically what it, yeah. it does is it doesn't it takes a lot of the killer's perspective out and sort of creates more of a mystery sure like throughout the film um in mm-hmm. a book getting characters like inner monologues it can mm. It just tells you everything all at once and there's not... We're getting scenes with the killer and he's all of his thoughts and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we sort of know what his plans are from the start. Sure. Where in this film, it's a much more... Yeah, you, you kind mystery. of realise... Yeah, you realise what he's doing with the with, with Clarice. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, that's something I forget too because I think before I saw Silence of the Lambs, I'd probably seen it parodied seen it referenced heard infamous scenes referenced yeah like um, the simpsons like mr yeah, burns in the hannibal yeah, yeah, muzzle yeah. and um, things like that so by the time i came to watch it i think i already kind of knew or had it in the back of my mind that that's what she was that sorry that's what um buffalo bill was doing to these women was, was yeah. making a woman suit um, excuse me spoilers which steals hey yeah sorry which which steals so much of the the power from the picture like it's it's a it's a cool thing i was thinking this while watching it like it's a it's a cool thing when a, a horror movie is so shocking at the time that it becomes parody fodder you know like yeah. either either a movie is so good or so shit that it becomes parody fodder yeah and through that you end up you know being so exposed to it that by the time you watch it yourself you kind of know you, you know the deal and it while it's a, a flattering thing i think it does make a, a first viewing I don't know, a little uh, tainted. Absolutely. I think that's what I've heard with The Exorcist as well, is that that has been parodied and just like replicated so much in the genre mm-hmm. itself that when they re-released it for like the 15th or 20th anniversary in the cinema, like mm-hmm. people were laughing when they went to see it because it was like the first yeah. time they'd ever seen it. And they yeah. were used to seeing that stuff in like the scary movie films like a thousand yes. times. Yes, of course. Yep. Um but yeah, so we're introduced to Clarice Sterling at the beginning mm-hmm. training. She's a trainee mm-hmm. FBI agent. So the yep. the the first book has a different protagonist, um, and I love I love this. Uh, it's to make a silly comparison. Clarice is like the Leon S. Kennedy of the, this this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, Resident what? Evil um, One has the like. Oh, these are the elite badass special forces cops, and then the second. Changes up the protagonist and goes, "Hey, here's some. Here's rookie. a rookie cop. It's yeah. first day of the force." And I think there's it's not. It, so it's not a silly comparison. It's a great comparison. But you were the only fucking person I know who would ever draw that comparison. I love you for it. <laughs> so sorry. Continue. Continue. I, I think that there's. I think that this movie is quintessentially one of like the best sort of like murder mystery serial killer of its genre because of some of these like some of these tropes or like decisions like the fact that she's a that she's a rookie. I think that really helps. And the fact that that I mean, the fact that she's a woman. Yeah, as well as like the that, fact that, that she's that a plays woman. A huge role. Especially when it's a serial killer who is a, a killer of women, and it's a woman yeah. that's like tracking him down. Yeah, and it just uh, it amplifies all of those moments. She's a rookie because we know she's a rookie. She's pretty good under pressure, but you can tell that she gets stressed and like that adds to the tension mm. where if he's just a, like a hard-boiled veteran and he's like cool, calm and collected through the whole thing, mm. there's mm. not as much tension there. And I think mm. that's the same with the fact that she's a woman and she's a very small woman. And the whole film we can see through the cinematography that everybody towers over her. That yeah, yeah. She's not going to beat him in physical strength. Yeah, which is how he yeah, she has to how he abducts all of his women. Mm. So she has to outwit him instead, and I think that's another more compelling 
element for a pr- protagonist than just straight yeah, up, absolutely. Oh, I'm just like a bigger, stronger man, so I can Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. Yeah, yeah. punch my way through the wall and just kill you. I think having the rookie character in, in your film works to have them, you're, like you're in this world with them, they exist in this world, but there's still stuff for them to learn and we're yeah, learning so that with them. Like they're, they're out in into that world. Yeah. Um, but they're, you know, clearly you, you get it, you get a feel for their strengths and what they're good at. And that's a, that's a, a compelling thing as well, I think. Yeah. I think like at the same time, we're getting exposition explaining the world that fits because they're, they're a trainee mm. that should be getting ex- something explained yes. to. Yeah. Um, and where there's, where there's no need for, or where exposition would feel, um, arbitrary and, yeah. and unnatural, they don't, they just skip it. And I think it also helps just having those scenes where we get to cut back to her doing her training. Yeah. And that's another way of giving characterization to her without tons and tons of dialogue because there's plenty Mm -hmm. of dialogue to go around. It's good to see her like, um, and even like they're like running drills of hostage situations where they're moving through buildings Mm -hmm. and that stuff is like foreshadowing to come back to later. Yeah, absolutely. But the last thing I think... That is another point that just works really well. Yeah. Uh, that makes this movie so compelling is the multiple serial killer angle. It's like right. I, feel we, like I mean, with Hannibal and and Hannibal with and Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's sort of um, I think I thought this at the time when I first saw it. It's a little bit superhero like um, serial killers. It's a larger than life um, sort of exaggerated character like a supervillain is in a comic book mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the Avengers just goes to show like people love ensemble and like team ups and things like that so when you have these yeah. two different serial killers <clears throat> yeah. in the movie it just makes for like this really they're also they're they're different both of the serial killers we get a contrast yeah. between them well I mean like having Hannibal be in there as like obviously um, Buffalo Bill is is the the, the movie's uh, like you know big bad like antagonist but Hannibal is like this, like fucking endgame boss, or like <laughs> this this like fucking uber uber monster in the movie. I mean, you don't know. I mean, going into the movie, presumably seeing it for the first time without you know spoilers and stuff in your head, you wouldn't know if you were gonna see uh, Hannibal actually like cut sick on anybody. Yeah, you don't really know in the movie what, like what part he has to play in the plot. Yeah, exactly. But you have this. Um, everyone treats him with such reverence almost when you do see it, it, it finally happen when it when it becomes apparent that oh fuck like it's about to get real it's it's a thrill man it's it's very exciting it's sort of funny they they build him up really well mm-hmm. considering that this is the second book in the series but they've like made it a standalone we don't know yeah, all of the backstory thing. of the character but it's not yeah. overly expositional to establish him it's mm-hmm. sort of funny. I was just thinking it's almost, this is almost one of the only times where telling instead of showing helps build more uh, mystery and fear around what his deeds and what he's done. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I guess that's, this is, uh, again, having her be the rookie in this world, that's where it becomes, it makes sense for the characters to literally just be like, what you didn't hear, he did this, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that. I like mean, it, it works it becomes... like contextually in the story, but I also just mean like for us as viewers, 
it's yeah well i mean that's why it works that's why it's it's um, good for us as viewers because it works contextually it's not an assault on your your immersion you know yeah but it's that uh concept it enhances it don't show your monster in a monster movie Mm. because then it's it's not scary anymore you need to like just hint at it and i think the gore progressively they show more as it goes on like we sort of see Mm -hmm. uh photos of what buffalo bill is doing straight away in the mm-hmm. office she can see all these photos of partially skinned dead women yeah yeah it's but it's kind gruesome. of removed yeah because they're photographs um and then she gets to go to the uh mental asylum and interview hannibal do not touch the glass do not approach the glass you pass him nothing but soft paper no pencils or pens no staples or paper clips in his paper use the sliding food carrier no exceptions if he attempts to pass you anything, do not accept it. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand, sir. So that's, again, we're just... She's getting told so much stuff, and the more and more we're told, like, there's mm-hmm. so many rules to follow. It just mm-hmm. creates... Yep. Makes him as more of a, a threat and just builds... Yeah, yeah. That, ...that idea. Absolutely. I'm going to show you why we insist on such precautions. On the afternoon of July 8, 1981, he complained of chest pains and was taken to the dispensary. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. When the nurse leaned over him, he did this to her. And he just holds out a photo. And we don't get to see the photo. We only get to see Clarice's reaction to the photo. And it's funny, we get... It's this big build-up to him. And then when we see him, he's almost... um, She's walking through the the corridor of all the like maximum security violent killers and yeah, then your stereotypical like uh, drooling and like <laughs> just going crazy and like arms stretched yeah, out yeah. through the bars and then we get to yep. this really stark there's no bars it's glass because he's yeah he can't even have his hands out the glass but yep. he's he's so like civilized yeah he's got that, absolutely like, class morning absolutely and we see this uh, again and again and again in the film that he is he values politeness like he he he's a very i think it's what makes him all the more terrifying is that he is so very human like yeah. he has things that he, he has likes and dislikes that are very cl- clear and, and one of the things he dislikes is rudeness you yeah, know it's almost it's it's like these contradictory characteristics that he has where it yeah, can be this yeah. absolute like, monster. maniac monster animal with this mm. incredible strength and it's just vicious, but then he's yeah. really, really manners and respect and mm. all of these things are really so important cool. to him. Yeah. Oh, and, and and Anthony Hopkins plays him with such glee. It's yeah, that's sort fucking of, fa- oh, phenomenal that's, to watch. That's sort of the funny thing that you can also see Hannibal having fun Mm. That that's the thing. It's not just the actor oh. having fun playing the role. Oh it's yeah, dude. Hannibal is playing. Hannibal's playing the polite, well-mannered, sophisticated person. But he mm. just yeah. he can just switch it on and off when he yeah. wants. Yeah, because he knows he knows full well that he can switch it off whenever he wants. Like he knows what he's capable of. And I think oh, that's man. another thing that makes him a really special serial killer is that it's he's a, he's a psychologist. So he's mm-hmm. the serial killer that understands all the other serial killers, but because he's a psychologist, no psychologists can crack his mind. That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? He's he's wicked smart. He's he's really perceptive. When I was watching it 
for the for the podcast, I was thinking he's almost like he's like a villain. He's like an anti Sherlock Holmes, like yeah, that right. master okay, of yeah. perception. But with Sherlock Holmes, it's not specifically psychology. So much of the movie is all based around just psychology, and so many, almost every conversation and dialogue is an interrogation or and an, like characters and analyzing the other characters. It's like yeah, a very- I think interrogation is is a good way of looking at it. I think there's um there's a the YouTube channel Every Frame of Painting yes um has a wonderful video essay on Silence of the Lambs called Who Wins the Scene, and I think it it works like that each each scene. And in the first one, we see that the way it's shot and, and the way it plays out, uh, Clarice loses the first kind of interrogation or, or battle of the wits. Yeah. Um, but then as the film goes on, she slowly starts to get the upper hand. And then, you know, there are moments where they're on kind of equal playing, yeah. equal footing, which is so cool. Yeah, there's um, the use of point of view. Mm-hmm. In the cinematography shows that. And not just yeah, between t- her uh, and Hannibal. But- Tak ta- Fujimoto, I think did a fucking wonderful job with, with the, the cinematography in this film. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It communicates so much. Yeah, even um, when Crawford is talking to her in the office and telling her that he wants her to go and interview Hannibal, it's mm-hmm. both like our point of view, them staring into the camera back and forth's reverse. Like well, it's, it's, she's, she's never up. looking, she's never quite looking at the camera. She's always looking just slightly off. I think there are a couple, maybe a couple of points where she gets some point, like looking at the camera stuff, and it's usually with Hannibal. Yeah. But whenever, whenever she's talking to a dude that that doesn't respect her and that she doesn't respect, it's so close to like straight down the camera, but slightly, slightly mm. off. But then, when, yeah, yeah. when we see with like Doctor Chilton, when he's just this sl- slimy, slivering little snake man, and he asks, "Yeah, he's a he is a snake man." You know, we get a lot of detectives here, but I must say I can't ever remember one as attractive. Will you be in Baltimore overnight? Because this can be quite a fun town if you have the right guide. His point of view is like looking at the camera and hers is way off. It's like a 45 yeah. degree angle. Yeah. And that's when we yeah. see it shifts more <laughs> and like further away and, and closer back mm-hmm. for her. But everyone's mm-hmm. always like staring directly at Clarice. Yeah. I um, think what's funny too is uh, like, again, with the, the cinematography, cinematography um, communicating this stuff in a way that like you don't even need, like you don't need the actors to overact or whatever. Like they that bit with um, uh, Chilton is f- fucking funny because in, in the way that it's shot because he's barreling the camera in, the, in like a kind of very tight shot of his face while he's like trying to flirt with her or trying to like see if she'll stay in town. And then when it becomes very apparent that she's like, nah, cunt, yeah, pardon my so French. Obvious, it's so obvious, her disinterest. The next, the, 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 revert, the next like time it cuts to the shot of Chilton, it's a very wide shot yeah. and he, he's not no longer barreling the camera and it's like it's it's the cinematography's way of, of communicating his vibe of like, Oh well, fuck it then. I guess we're just working, you know. Like, yeah, I think that's what um is so great about the film. It it leaves so much up to interpretation to you. We get the the dialogue, which is the exposition, which is the like the plot points we need to know to follow the story. But then mm. the whole time we have all of these questions that we're trying to like figure out, just like they're trying to figure out what everybody else's motives is and stuff like that. Yep. Do you know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling room with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor, wired trash, are you, Agent Starling? 
he just like cuts to her core so quickly. Ridiculous, dude. And the again, the camera and the movement of the camera communicating that like as it kind of goes in, like moves closer and closer and closer to him as he's just delivering beat down after beat down and the, sh- the reverse shot of, of Clarice moving in as well, but taking her like further and further off center yeah. and like on the, uh, like the other side of the, of where you would think she'd be like crossing the line almost like yeah, just showing how fucking like out of her depth she is to deal yeah. with this dude at this and point. His close-ups get so uncomfortable. They're extreme close-ups. Mm. So uncomfortable. You're just seeing like above his chin to his eyebrows yeah so close it's it's incredible yeah they're like forget the hairline we don't want to see the hairline hairlines are for kind people and this ain't that (laughs) (laughs) said the bald man i don't know what i'm doing yeah i think it's really it's interesting it's an interesting sort of thinking of the books in their in the context the first book is called the red dragon and that's titled after the serial killer the second Mm -hmm. book it's a different serial killer Hannibal's still in it and we also have a different protagonist but the title of The Silence of the Lambs is inherently about Clarice and not yeah. Buffalo Bill or Hannibal. No, well I mean it's 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 her it's her story. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um I think the the couple of flashbacks we get are so good. Mm-hmm. I, I they blend in so well. They are so tastefully done, right? Yeah, really tasteful I think is the, this is the right word cuz it's again this whole movie is about psychology They're all psychologists, behavioral science division of the FBI. And so we get a flashback, not just because it's like, no, it needs to fit here in the movie because that's Mm. where it will flow. It flows in through what she's experiencing and what she's feeling. And we get a different soundtrack as well for her flashbacks that we don't hear at any other time during the film. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like that's a that's a better time. It's nostalgic almost. Ooh, um, ooh. And perhaps, perhaps she's wearing rose tinted glasses. These are the jokes, people. Yep. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the rest of the score of the film is very sort of it's like classic mystery feeling it very very mm. much just feels like a classic like whodunit Sherlock Holmesy kind of score yeah yeah Howard Shaw does a, a fantastic job with this with this flick uh, after that kind of her losing that round and she goes to to walk off we get that fucking disgusting uh Migs interaction flinging fucking jizz it's disgusting dude that's rotten but then when she runs back when Hannibal calls her back we get the first shot of them together in a two shot yeah we don't see it's it's all separate shots the whole time Mm -hmm. showing that he he does like see something in her yeah you know I think that's the even though he just cuts sick on her yeah totally it's he definitely is really um intrigued by her it's sort of like he sees, like I said, he cuts to a call. Like he can, he he sees so much about her, and he mm. sees the potential. So he gives mm. her clues that other people, like he gives clues later in the movie to other people that are just like red herrings because they're too stupid yeah, to yeah, realize. Yeah, because it's just that a simple, simple anagram. But she is on a different level, and so she gets the clues and she can like follow them to. I think too, it puts his his cutting sick on her as it were, in context. I think, like, he sees so much in her that when she tries to strong-arm her way through the situation earlier, 
that's what like tearing into her was coming from a, a place of like disappointment. Yeah. Come on, you're better than that. Absolutely. Um, but then that leads her to the first the first major clue, the severed head in a hearse oh, inside oh, of her. Yes. In a storage garage. And again, we mm-hmm. get a little bit of um, the door's broken and they can't pull it up. And the owner's like, oh, we'll come back tomorrow and I've got my strong lad that will open it. And she, instead of using her physical strength, she outthinks it and she gets the car jack to, to boost it up. So mm-hmm. we're getting these little hints of like, oh no, she's, she's clever. She can solve the problems in the different ways than yep. other people approach them. And that's what's going to get her to track down the killer. You're so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you realize that? And then we sort of get the awesome hook. He's so interested in Clarice that he agrees with conditions to help her track down Buffalo Bill. So then we get that, the premise of a serial killer helping the police track down another serial killer. I'll help you catch him, Clarice. It's just... it's it's Killer v. Killer. It's one of those little ideas that it's so simple... But nobody else had that idea. And the second that that yeah. person has the idea, you just go, ah. Oh, yeah, man. Having brilliant. two baddies face off, it's Freddy vs. Jason, dude. It's Alien vs. Predator. Yeah, except every movie that's ever had the word versus in the title is terrible. That's, that's the problem. If they named it something else. <laughs> Imagine if The Silence of the Lambs was called Hannibal the Cannibal versus Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. That is sick. That sounds like a fucking like, home wrestling tape. <laughs> oh man i can imagine like the parody trailer where it just becomes like an exploitation slasher flick yeah with dude no subtlety with, with, whatsoever uh, nah with drowning pool as the soundtrack bodies dude it'd be put out by fucking miramax and so then we get uh where they find another body and we go yes to the, now um, is this is this the body that they uh they yes yeah, so they end they, up um taking the photos of on the slab yeah so she's been in the river, so it's all just disgusting and waterlogged, bloated body. I think the flashbacks are interesting as well because these are things that, like, Hannibal can almost, like, see these in her herself. And it's like these are given yeah. to us, the audience, because it's like, oh, you guys aren't geniuses that can, <laughs> yeah. that can just see through all of this stuff. So mm. we're going to show yeah, you're you right. guys... But somehow yeah, Hannibal already knows. But it's a very, very simple just... Her father was a cop. It's obviously why she got into it. Um, mm. And he was killed. Mm. Oh, that soundtrack just soars. It's, uh, it's a mixture of... It's got that nostalgia, but it's also... The, the tragic, mm. melancholy... And then we um, we go from that to just this gross, bloated corpse on a table. Uh, it's it's uh, harrowing. That scene, I think that scene actually makes me the most uncomfortable um, in the film. That that really had me squirming. I think everyone's performances in this movie. There's not a, a dud amongst them, but jo- Jodie Foster's performance is fucking wonderful. It's understated in the best ways. Like she's not like, oh my God, she never has like a big reaction to anything, but you see in her eyes. So much of that scene is um, we hardly see the body at all. We can like barely see it at the bottom of the frame and it's just focusing on her and we're relying on her reactions. Mm -hmm. um, And I think that's, I think that's, that's something that seven does um, differently. Like we always see the aftermath 
of the of the killing, but Seven is more eager to show you the full body, the guy on the bed, you know. Yeah, the um, really gross, like, look at the, this crazy... Yeah, exactly. Like, look at this whole body. Ugh, what the fuck? Gross. Whereas this is <laughs> this is more like we're seeing, like, the fingernails with the nails missing, uh, you know, or the, the hands so with gross. the fingernails missing. And um, the back of her when they roll her over and stuff like that, like, we don't see... We see next to nothing, but it's chilling. Yeah, It's absolutely. harrowing. Because of those go, performances. Just before Sick. that scene, we get a really interesting that point of view where she's left in the room with all the cops and they're all staring at her. Yeah, that is an excellent, excellent thing. Uh, earlier, like the they've biggest... got the shot in the elevator, but this is like yeah, up to 11. E- it's even more. I'm just like, because oh half of them are wearing fucking cowboy hats, man. Yeah, exactly. They've got, they're all like <laughs> the sheriff's department. Yeah. Oh, man. And there's that great, even, even the extras do great in this movie, man. Like when she's like, you know, all right, you know, y'all got them this far. We'll get, we'll take it from here. Yeah. Uh, sick, sick accent, Connor. Thanks, man. Um, uh, and that they all kind of look look at each other like, is this bitch for real? But the one, the dude, like dead center of the frame, literally gives her an up and down. Like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, it's it's insulting. You're insulted with her. Absolutely. I feel I the way that they look at her. And the point of view mm. camera, I'm like, oh my God, I understand like the male gaze stuff. That's like the yeah. greatest example of, it's sort of subtle, but it also sort of isn't. It's like absolutely in your face about it, but yeah. it's, the, it's the camera work that's absolutely in your face about it. It's not the yeah. dialogue. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. All that, that subtext is in the fucking cinem- cinematography, dude. It's in the cinematography. Mm, cinematography. Oh, Christ. I'm it's, um, and it's funny because we get th- that scene, Crawford... His approach is I'm going to use the fact that Clarice is a woman to get the like the sheriff alone to chat and leave mm-hmm. her with all those people. And then the next scene we see he's trying to call, set up a conference call, and every single fucking Tom, Dick, and Harry's in the morgue with them, mm-hmm. the with, with the woman on the table. And then we get to see Clarice's way of handling the situation in contrast to Crawford. And yeah. it's like, oh, what do you know? Instead of him having to shout over into the phone, she clears them all out. Yeah, she and thinks he's it able to. He's able to have his phone conversation, but she hasn't hurt his standing. Starling. When when I told that sheriff we shouldn't talk in front of a woman, that really burned you, didn't it? It was just smoke, Starling. I had to get rid of him. It matters, Mr. Crawford. Cops look at you to see how to act. It matters. Point taken. And I'm yeah, just like, oh, the, the way shit. she, yeah, that it is so. She's such a cool character because she's, she's so not like on. she doesn't, she doesn't like launch into anything, which fucking I guess she'd be within her rights to do, but she doesn't. Totally. She just she just tells it like in a short, succinct way, gets the point across, and is honestly more cutting. Absolutely, that, in in that way. But also, just she saying, doesn't, it she matters. doesn't go the other way where. Yeah, she could berate him and go nuts, but be, we know that she's a rookie and that he's. Yeah. This big, like she, he's the head. Oh, of she the could, she could try to, yeah, she could try to earn brownie points by being like, nah, dog, it's cool, and and just underplay it or just not yeah. bring it up because she doesn't feel confident doing it. And I think that's yeah, what's great yeah. is that yeah, no, even she, though she's she really, she's passionate and she does speak her mind. Yeah, she knows she's fucking good at her job. It's ballsy, dude. And then also, of course, another thing she sees that we don't, that nobody else does, is the moth inside of the throat. Oh, which is, oh and again. Immediately after being like, there's something in a, in this chick's throat. The the dude in the room who's kind of given her greasies most of the time is like, when a body comes out of the water, lots of times there's like leaves and things in the mouth. He just dismisses it straight away. She gets the mm. tweezers out, and it's a bloody little cocoon. 
Yeah, it's all these... Uh, the movie is full of these, like, dudes, I guess except Crawford to a degree, but even he kind of gets caught up in the, the pissing contest. Sort of. It's all these dudes who, they'll get a clue or, like, a thing and they won't follow it up. They won't double-check it. They won't think... They won't take it one step further. Clarice always does. Crawford and Hannibal are both her mentors. Like, they're both sort of father figure mentors in this film. But I think yeah. that Hannibal never wavers in his belief in her the way that Crawford sort of does yeah and i don't think crawford's is coming from a, like a you're a chick lol you can't do it i think his is just like a you're inexperienced whereas yeah. i think hannibal sees that that doesn't necessarily matter she's got something yeah absolutely and of course the the cocoon every serial killer needs some sort of like weird bizarre calling card that's the yeah. stuff that makes audiences like get hooked on these serial killer fictions is the the weird bizarre ways that they kill people and the the rituals that they they follow and it's i think that's why this works well so well is because the movie's so based on psychology and at its core serial killer fiction is the audience is watching going i want to try and understand the most bizarre behavior like a human can do mm yeah, absolutely. So it just makes sense to like lean into that psychology element. And we get to f finally see just little glimpses of the killer's lair after he abducts his next victim. Yes, the uh, senator's daughter. Catherine. Yes, this great abduction scene where he's got the cast on. She's making, like, oh, making oh. her pity him because he's this yeah. disabled guy that can't get the vehicle great, in the car. Great in how horrifying it is, man. Like I, I was watching that last night and I, for the first time, watched it and went, oh, fuck, is this what, like, because you see, like, your female friends and you, you, you're you sympathetic, but you've got, I mean, I, I don't know everyone's experience, but personally, I've got nothing to compare it, that, that feeling to. Yeah. Uh, watching this scene last night, I went, oh, fuck, I felt, like, chills and dirty watching that scene. I was like, is that, oh, God, is that what, is that what, it's we like, were afraid of. I don't blame them. This is fucking horrifying. And that's the horrifying thing is that you can see that she knows that it's sketchy, but it's oh. like she doesn't want to be rude. No, yeah, helping. she wants to err on the side of kindness and all that. Exactly. And, so, and she's and she's outside her own house. Yeah, it's she's oh, like right at the door, and she oh, looks, man. and he's like, "Get you, get up into the truck and pull, and I'll yeah. push." And she like yeah. looks at the door, looks back at it, but she still doesn't like. It's still just too much to be like, oh, oh, no, I can't say no. I can't be rude. I've got to do just this. Just analysing this scene makes me sad, man. To, and just to, to make it even sadder, um, that cat, the cat, her cat in the window. Oh. That cat never got fed, man. <laughs> so Clarice seeks out the bug experts following yes. up the lead. Um, and these are kind of the these goofy nerds it's funny, we get the same... One of them hits on Clarice. You ever go out for cheeseburgers and beer? The amusing house wine? Are you hitting on me, doctor? Yes. But it just comes off so differently that compared to Chilton earlier yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you can... There, it's, it's sort of funny because he's the one... He's the one character that's looking straight at her in a point of view, but he's got a lazy eye. <laughs> Yeah. So only yeah. one of his eyes is looking straight at her. And it mm -hmm. and again it, it gives that it's a visual thing that we don't we almost don't need any more exposition. It's just, oh, he's he's got a goofy eye, therefore we don't take him as seriously. He's not as we immediately go, Oh, he's kinda nice, he's cute, he's not a sleaze bag. They're just like mm. 
socially awkward nerds. Yeah. They and know. her response is is kind of similar. Like where the other dudes, she plays it really like professionally and just ignores it flat out. Yeah. Um, will, you know, change the subject or, or spin it or whatever. This dude, she's just like, are you flirting with me? Are you hitting on me? Yeah. Uh, and and his response is, yes. Exactly. Yeah, playfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is good. And then and then we see that moth. We see that fucking- The death head moth. The death head moth, dude. Oh, oh, it's so metal. It's so interesting that they're like, oh, so- yeah, this is a sp- this specific breed. It could only come from here, so you would have to be able to like you would have to be imported from here and then raised. So you're like, okay, mm. we've got some. We're getting leads in detective stories. You need lots of leads, even if those some of them don't go to anywhere. You mm-hmm. need like a lot of leads because you're thinking like, oh, how are they going to catch them? What are they going to do? So you just need like the little sprinkles of different things. Even though yeah, this man. is ultimately it- not how she catches him, because then we get this insight when she goes back to Hannibal and speaks to him and he explains that the significance of the moth is change caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa and from thence into beauty our belly wants to change too it's tasteful and it's subtle um I think that that's what is another good strength of this film is that it's based in it's very realistic for the most part in mm-hmm. terms of the the killers and the the science behind it, it respects it. It doesn't just use it as like buzzwords. That it's like, oh, behavioral yeah. science, oh, this psychology, uh, but doesn't actually <laughs> doesn't under, understand it. It actually it's does murder brain. I think that's probably like the biggest thing that makes this movie age well. That we could have been rewatching it and being like, oh man, it's so gross. Like because the, the yeah. transsexual element is handled so poorly, and it's like looking back at it now, you're just like, oh. I can't, I can't yep. deal. But at no point do they bring up, like he's a psychologist, he doesn't, he, he says straight out, Our belly wasn't born a criminal, Clarice. He was made one through years of systematic abuse. Billy hates his own identity, you see, and he thinks that makes him a transsexual. But his pathology is a thousand times more savage and more terrifying. There's no skepticism at all. And something in the, that they mention in the books is that serial killers like that are so rare. Hannibal is such the like ultimate find because they they caught one alive, but who is also a psychologist, which is like the mm-hmm. ultimate like extraordinary thing. But serial okay. killers themselves are very extraordinary. Um, and I think that was a, the problem I had with the TV show, which we won't go into too much, was that every single week... It was a different wacky serial killer <laughs> yeah. killing people in the yeah. most wacky way that it it belittles the way that Hannibal ended up killing people. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. We're very much yeah, like, totally. I think um, the... Yeah, the series had that like monster of the week thing kind of going for it, which I found enormously entertaining, but you're it, right, it does kind of... It, it doesn't fit what that source material it takes its about. strengths from. Yes, um, yeah, I think yeah, Will yeah. Graham. I think in the in Red Dragon says that it's like ten years or something like that. That he's or it's ten fifteen years that he's been this FBI agent, and he's only ever encountered like two serial yeah. killers like that before. Uh-huh. And and again, we get these like little bits of psychology that it's um, the mother's plea on the TV is trying to like humanize the daughter, so mm. he has more difficulty killing her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which then we, we get to we see, see we get to see that take. He, it doesn't take, but he very much that is very much his mindset that he is um, referring to her as it. 
It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Yeah, dude. And again, this is this element that it's interesting because we're like, why is he getting it to rub lotion on her? Like, I don't understand. In the mm. book, it's a little bit more just laid out. It's like, oh, well, you know, he's skinning them. So the problem is that when he sews them, the skin rips. So he's like, mm. he's learning as he's as each woman he's going through that he needs mm-hmm. to moisturize the skin so it doesn't crack. Yeah, it doesn't rip. prime it. Mm-hmm. But that sort of just takes away from the mystery. It's yeah, the, totally. the ultimate bizarre thing. You're like, okay, what do we know about him? Okay, he's this guy. Might be, thinks he's a transsexual, puts moths in their throats, skins them for some reason and makes them rub lotion on themselves. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what does that equal? And you're like, I don't know. I don't get it. And you're like, yeah, exactly. That's what makes it interesting and makes you want to keep watching. Exactly. And in that scene, we do get a glimpse that maybe the the Catherine thing hasn't, hasn't worked, hasn't taken, but he isn't... I guess, immune or completely unaffected by her cries. When she just starts, like, crying and, and, like, having a meltdown, which, you know, understandably so, um, having a bad day. It does get to him. His face kind of contorts and, like, he's he's not able to keep a straight face and he starts just kind of, like, yelling back at her and stuff. Yeah, well, like he says, he says, What's the fucking lotion in the bag? He snaps, yeah. Little, uh little bit of book insight again it's because she's crying and she says like i want my mummy um, uh, okay and that's like that's what is in his traumatic past is like the mother thing ah. so that's what like that's what gets to him right and makes ah, him that's snap. cool i get i guess that's the sort of thing that you could read into into it just watching the film um but they don't feel the need to be like yeah, he's got mummy issues. Like they don't, they don't even mention it, but it's there. It's there if you think. Yeah, about I think it, um, Red Dragon is an example of the movie where it goes, okay, let's show the villain from the start and let's make the audience empathize with him to a certain degree and play with. Yes. Or how much can you empathize with him once you see the kind of stuff that he's doing? Mm. And that's a really interesting like dynamic and i think it works really well for that movie and it's sort of it wouldn't work so much in here it's sort of just thrown in there in the book there's not a lot of it it's Mm. it's all sort of just like one big chunk of a like a a chapter explaining everything um Mm. and it's not uh it's not integral to the story the way that Mm. it is in red dragon because like we said before this is clarice's story they offer him this deal which turns out to be false and chilton Mm -hmm. the the snake that he is has a hidden microphone so he screws up Dog their act. plans and says, "Hey, look, they were fucking lying to you, but mm. I'll I'll make this deal." And he just like sweeps it off up from underneath them, and he gets swept off mm-hmm. and out of their jurisdiction. But in return, he gets a bogus deal, dude. He gets a sorry, a bogus lead, a bogus name. That's right, yeah. Fucking Again, Lewis it's, friend. It's just a stupid um, little easy anagram for fool's gold. Mm-hmm. And like b- before that, like torments the the senator looking for a daughter yeah again it's that 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 awful um it's the contrast of he's so cordial to her and mm. polite to begin with Mm -hmm. but then he just he just digs it in and twists the knife yep and then and and adds insult to injury by giving them this bogus lead yeah He, he again he doesn't come good with the senator because he doesn't respect her he doesn't see anything worth respecting in her. But then when we get to the the next interaction, that, that last piece of psychology advice, even though Clarice, you know, did the dirty on him, he almost sees it as like, yeah, nah, fair cop. Yeah. That was good. 
yeah, he's still more than happy to talk with her because he's because again, he's like when he sees her, he's fascinated by her and he wants to he wants to find out more. And again, it makes him all the more human because he's not like how dare you betray me? You know, I am the mighty <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. He like he he has the human reaction of like ah, get fucked. Yeah, all right, fair. Yep. And then he lets. Then we find out the crucial last sort of clue. He covets. That is his nature. And how do we begin to covet Clarice? And then we also get a little bit of a like a. Um, a dialogue referencing um, the male gaze. Don't you feel eyes moving over your body, Clarice? It, and it's funny because yeah. it's, it's, it feels like the whole movie, all of these men are looking at her with these, like, you know, you're sort of thinking like, oh, they're having sexual thoughts about her, all this stuff. And Hannibal's yeah. the only one that we kind of feel like respects her and doesn't do that to yeah. her. And it's weird yeah, that yeah. it's like, oh, that's coming from the killer. Is yeah. the only one that yeah. treats her with respect, mm-hmm. and again, the the cinematography nails it, like or like drives this point home in a way that when Hannibal outwardly says, like, "Don't you feel, you know, eyes on your body and stuff," you you can't go, "No, she doesn't." Like, yeah, you're like, oh, you've been shown time and time yes, and time and exactly time and time again the entire shown. that yes, this is the case. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? Wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lamb. Do you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. And so finally, with that last bit of information, he he understands her and has got her down completely. Yeah, yeah. And and we get that little thrill as the audience being like, that's the name, oh, that's almost the name of the movie. Like... <laughs> Isn't that exciting, boys and girls? Uh, but also we get that that wonderful, the reveal of that information through Jodie Foster just oh, emotionally. I'm using the term cut and sick a lot tonight. Emotionally cut and sick. She, she delivers that so beautifully and so humanely. She brings such a, I don't know, she brings such a sense of like empathy to that character, I think, and plays it really understated again where it, where it counts. Like she's not like weeping and, and shit, but she gets, when she remembers, when she recalls how cold it was, she wells up a little bit. She, she has to repeat how cold it was and stuff like that. Little human touches. It's a very human movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think lesser... A lesser director, lesser actor, lesser cinematographer, they would rely on a flashback for that scene or something. Exactly. But exactly. Instead, we just stay on her and we get it all from her and we it's just so entertaining. We sort of um we get this this great reveal where Clarice is gone she figures out that it's the that the third person they found was actually the first victim. And so that was the person that he was coveting. So she goes mm-hmm. to the, to that town to see if she can dig up any more evidence. Um, and that's when we get that great reveal that the diamond-shaped patterns on the back are a yes. sewing pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's where you, Which, you can have your, like, twist revelation moment yeah, of the movie that yeah. feels so great to go, oh, my God, I've put the pieces together. It, like, yeah, exactly the same time she has. Exactly. And in a horror movie context, it's it's like great but it's also horrifying it's that like what the you were doing what Ew, gross bro like that kind of moment you know yeah. 
um, super cool. In in you know she's make she he's making a woman suit. It's yeah, disgusting. So it's funny. Then once again, she's found this lead, and she calls up Crawford, and he's like, "Don't worry, we have traced the these the the other clue that doesn't go anywhere. They traced the the moth eggs to this guy, mm-hmm. so we're on our way there." Yeah, don't, don't worry, stress. It's all good. And we get that uh, awesome moment that I don't think was overplayed at the time, but we've seen it so many times now where it's like the, the ringing of the door and they're out there with the fake flower delivery man and the SWAT team mm, ready to take the, him down. The, yeah, the fake out. And then he opens the door and it's Clarice knocking on the door, not the SWAT mm-hmm. team. And the SWAT team smashed through and it's just an empty blank house and there's no one there. But it's Clarice that's tracked him down and now she's in this house with him. Yeah, well, tra- tracked him down purely by chance, like, as well. Like, didn't, um, wasn't like, hmm, this guy could, or, you know, the person who lives here could be the killer. She's no, just like, it's another lead, I, I need it, I'm doing my job. But I think it's it's following the lead, but then having the instinct and, like, realising when something's up. Yeah, or realising that, hang on, this person, you know, th- this person should live here, but there's this guy, yeah. this complete stranger who... who is got is given a vibe, man. Uh, and then you know, one thing after another, things aren't adding up. The place looks, which looks, you know, is in a state of fucking, you know, disrepair. And then we get the moth flying in, and she's like, "This is our boy, this moth boy, this moth man, this moth monster." And he man. runs into that basement that's just so disgusting. And oh, oh, it's like belly of the beast, dude. Labyrinth. It's so. There's like no light. The second you go down there, it's just this claustrophobic, like, I want to get out. I need to get out. Mm-hmm. I don't like it down here. Uh, but funnily enough, its structure and layout is so similar to the to those buildings that they were running drills in yep. in our FBI training. Yeah, yeah. And we see, like, earlier in the in the film, again, it's great seeing those um, uh, those sequences and seeing her fail at, at the... The, um, she didn't check the corner. Uh, she didn't check the corner, and that's why she's dead. Yeah. Like so, when we get to here, we know like, oh, this is like every other piece of training we've seen her participate in. She aced. Yeah. That was like that was her her weak point. And at no point did they feel the need to have someone be like, you're a good, you know, you're a good detective, Clarice, but you suck at checking corners. Like, you yeah. know, there, there <laughs> was no. There, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, I think again, that's the tasteful. thing. Tasteful. It's human. She's not just this perfect like. Oh, she's great at everything. She makes mistakes, or it's she comes across things by chance. But she can take those opportunities. Exactly. Tracking him down, um, and eventually, when she kills him, he's stalking her in the night vision goggles, and she's completely blind and can't see anything. Ooh. Feeling her way around, um, mm-hmm. and we can see how like stressed and like fearful she is, and that's yeah. what is so powerful. Because she's a trainee and she's never been in this situation for real before. This is her yep. first time. Yeah, but it's it's but fear. She it's intense fear, but it's not despair. It's cool, yes. man. And she doesn't she doesn't beat him by accident by a fluke. No, nah, no. Nah, she uses her her she like, pays her, her wits, her senses. Yeah, she pays attention, which is what she's done through the whole fucking movie. And it's seen and I just her love straight. like she just unloads in him, and you can yeah. see like the shock that she's in that she's like trying yeah, to reload dude. a revolver again. Yeah, and even though this dude's already down on the ground, like, she's like fucking he's down. But she's yeah, it's it's not over. She has to. She's like, oh shit, kick the kick the gun out away from his hand. Yeah, yeah, so good. It's tough. And in all in all, in all of those in in the midst of all of that. Hannibal escapes, like oh, with the most in a crazy. Wonderful. Who would have thought? Like it's just like thing after thing, 
And then again, f- man, finally, it's, when it's revealed how he escaped yeah. by wearing the skin of somebody else's face and getting in the hospital away, it's that oh. reveal, and you go, "Oh my god, he must have like planned." That was like a a, a thirty step plan that he anticipated. Yeah. Like every single move from the cops. You see, you you again get to see the big bad, the real big bad. Cut sick, and and you see what all that fear is. That all that fear and all those stories have been well founded, and and you were right to fear this dude because, like, you know, yeah, he's scary behind glass. He is a an actual monster out of the cage. Yeah, he's just a net. He's just like a whole level above Buffalo Bill in control yeah. yeah he only he only acts when he when it when it's right when the time is right the fact that they move they move him he gives them bogus info because he knows that he doesn't he's not going to give them the real info to get off because he know he's already planning his escape and that mm. he doesn't need to make the deal to be let off or to have a, mm-hmm. a cushier sentence because he knows the whole time that he's going to escape he yeah. takes the pen the piece of the pen from Chilton all the way mm-hmm. on the plane to then unlock mm-hmm. the handcuffs at just at the right moment. Yeah, it's methodical. He's an absolute mastermind. And the um that that sequence when he does like you get to see within in the space of like you know thirty seconds with him killing the two officers, we get to see him. We get to see him in like three modes, like fucking beast mode, where he literally bites the dude's face, just full on primal full-on primal just growling and biting this dude's face and then we get to see him like pick up the baton and with a strange amount of calm beat this guy to death just like he is, he is exhaling just to deliver the blows powerfully enough it's, he's it's, not breaking a sweat he's not like breaking eye contact exhilaration yeah it's he's and that, that with it. the classical music in the background it's almost he's it's orchestrated you know Fucking beautiful. And then after that mastermind like escape thing, when the cops come up the elevator and find the initial, the the guy who was beaten with the baton splayed and hung up across the cage, we get to see that he's also an artiste, man, a fucking <laughs> maniac artiste. Like those two things, those two parts of him combine into this like disgusting, unspeakable monster. So all, all's well and good, Clarice... Got the bad guy. She passes. Uh-huh. She becomes a, a real for a real FBI agent. She even yep. invites the two bug experts to the ceremony. Yeah, which and is they're cute. so thrilled and it's cute. But then we get a final phone call. Mm. Well, Clarice, have the lamb stopped screaming? After letter. Don't bother with the trace. I won't be on long enough. So now we're set up. And now the pupil has to hunt down the mentor. That moment for me is where it kind of like dinged in my head. I was like, that's what I find and what I think is one of the, the aspects that makes Hannibal the most compelling is that line where he says, I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world's more interesting with you in it. That's such a friendly and like fond thing to say. Yeah. And it's because he values, he respects her. He values how respectful and polite she's been. And there's like a mutual, there's a sense of like almost camaraderie in it. And it's, that is such a human thing. And that's, that's what I find just so, yeah, compelling and interesting about, about Hannibal is that he's, you would want to, you would want to hang out with the dude, you know, which I think is something that um, the, the series kind of did poorly. Yeah. 
like he was a little bit too creepy, you know, like he, yeah, he's smart and stuff, but you feel like he's like, he doesn't really uh, have charm. No, he's very cold. Whereas there are moments of actual, like real warmth that, that comment, like the world's more, the world's more interesting with you in it. That's sweet, man. Oh, Someone yeah, ever talking told me that I'd marry them fucking. <laughs> so I think it's pretty obvious from how we've been speaking about the film that it holds up excellently. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful film, and it's it, it endures for many, many reasons, and will continue to do so. I definitely, it's one that I wish I had appreciated more in my adolescence. It's not like I was capable of. I, I don't think I was capable of appreciating it this much. As a as a you know fourteen fifteen year old yeah, excuse me fourteen fifteen year old boy I think that's 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 all right it's it's just like that's okay like every time I watch this movie I just like it more and more yeah I yeah absolutely I found more things to like about this flick this time and and yeah so we're looking at uh, back back in the day we're looking at this movie with with fucking beige glasses dude. <laughs> Glasses that were far too opaque, we couldn't see the whole picture. It's not a thing. Now we got them. Now we got them. Uh, hang on, hang on. Shh, got to finish this this metaphor. Now we got. <laughs> now we got them rose tinted glasses, but for all the right reasons, man. I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world's more interesting with you in it. So you take care now to extend me the same courtesy. You know I can't make that promise. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Dr. Lighter. Dr. Lighter. Dr. Lighter. Dr. Lighter. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us, the biggest thing you can do for us at the moment is just share the podcast to your friends, word of mouth, on social media. Um, if you're mm-hmm. listening on Apple Podcasts, rating and reviewing also helps heaps. We'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Tweet us at Rose Tint Review. We're also on Instagram at Rose Tinted Review. Let us know. I want to know what your favorite serial killer is. Ooh, that's a good question. Look, I remember uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was the serial killer. I wouldn't say he's my favorite, but he's the serial killer that I remember reading about that I found so shocking that I... That, that put me off reading about serial killers for a while, for a Oof. long time. Yeah, that was in year nine, my dude. And if you, want to, um, if you want to follow along, like a book club at home, next week's episode is going to be the Blues Brothers. We're going to change it up a little bit. Yeah, we're doing something different. We're, um, we're, we figured, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll do episodes that um, are about properties or things that we are both fond of, that we both have a nostalgia for. But something that we thought would be cool is to revisit things, uh, like pitch one to the other, uh, who like so in this case Blues Brothers? I grew up with this film. Michael hasn't seen it, so I obviously am going to be biased, heavily biased towards this film. What's a fresh set of eyes? I'm a blank going to canvas. do on this. Exactly. My glasses don't even have lenses in them yet. Yeah, <laughs> you're wearing that. You got them. Yeah, those fake the 3D glasses. You poke the lens out. That's you got right. that hipster look, dude. So yeah, we're gonna change it up a little bit next week with Blues Brothers. Mm. So we recommend you watch it before. I, I don't want to like hype it up too much, but if you watch the movie before you listen to our episode, it will change your life. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So yeah, join us next time when we find out whether our hindsight is truly 2020 or we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses.